Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey friends and neighbors, you're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 32, Spring Rain Ahead. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. Wait, daylight savings again? More clocks to change? More disasters to avert? and spring ahead, so we lose an hour of sleep? In this week's episode, once again we find ourselves approaching daylight savings. Such a short amount of standard time. So as we jump back into time torture for no good reason, we'll do so with the grace of a spring rain. I'm not going to rehash all of this all over again. You can listen to episode 13 to hear me complain about the stupidity of daylight savings. This weekend, by law of the land in these United States, and in dozens of nations around the world, we will all lose an hour of the day. We spring ahead with a 23-hour day, losing an hour of sleep Saturday night into Sunday morning. And when we wake Sunday morning, the sun will seem much higher in the sky than it did Saturday morning at the same clock time. Going to bed Sunday night and waking Monday morning will be more difficult than normal too, possibly for several days after. And this is not about some minor grievance of losing a bit of shut-eye. The actual real-world consequences of this time torture include significantly greater cardiovascular disease, more emergency room visits, more mistakes by healthcare professionals, sorry, we're human too, more missed days of work, more motor vehicle crashes, more unnecessary disease, death, and destruction for no good reason. So please call your representatives in Congress and put an end to this needless mayhem. How should you prepare for the time change? There are no guarantees, but there are some ways that you can try to inoculate yourself against these shifts. The combined problems the daylight savings time changes cause include both a shift of an hour of clocks, plus the loss of an hour of normal sleep opportunity. While an hour shift is not an overwhelming amount, not like flying from Los Angeles to London in a day, you can approach it in the same way as you might for jet travel. As the big day approaches, you can make small but incremental adjustments to your sleep-wake timing so that rather than suffering a seismic shift, you experience little shifts each of the several days leading up to the main event. You can do this by adjusting your wake-up time, your circadian anchor, a little bit over each of several days, making sure to expose yourself to bright light shortly after waking to really push your internal clock strongly enough to make it easier the following morning as well. So for instance, if you are fortunate enough to hear these words on Tuesday or Wednesday, you can start by waking up 15 minutes earlier each day from Thursday till Sunday. So for example, if you normally get up at 6 a.m., Your adjusted wake-up schedule this week could look something like this. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, wake up at 6 a.m. as usual, followed shortly by lots of bright light. 
Thursday morning, wake up at 5.45 a.m., followed shortly by lots of bright light. Friday morning, wake up at 5.30 a.m., followed shortly by lots of bright light. Saturday morning, wake up at 5.15 a.m., followed shortly by lots of bright light. And then Sunday morning, wake up at the equivalent of 5 a.m. sharp, which is technically now back to 6 a.m. Because with daylight savings, 6 a.m. is the new 5 a.m. So without too much trouble, rather than getting hit with a one-hour shift all at once, you ease into the circadian adjustment over several days. But what about the other end of things? When to go to sleep and not get slapped with that harmful sleep loss Saturday night? Again, no hard and fast rules here, but you could aim for similar adjustments of when you get into bed, or potentially add in some cushioning of extra sleep in the days leading up, and arrive back at your typical total time in bed once daylight savings time hits. So for example, if you normally get into bed at 10.30pm, your adjusted bedtime could look something like this. Monday and Tuesday, bedtime at 10.30pm as usual, following decreased light for at least an hour. Wednesday, bedtime at 10pm following decreased light also starting about 30 minutes earlier than usual. Thursday night, bedtime at 9.30pm, following decreased light for at least an hour. Friday night, bedtime at 9pm, following decreased light levels for at least an hour again. And Saturday night, new bedtime around 8.30pm, following an hour of low light levels. So you are storing up a little bit of surplus sleep opportunity for a few days before daylight savings. And then when the rest of the world is starved of an hour of normal sleep, you've got yourself a bonus of extra hour. Then Sunday night, you can go back to your regularly scheduled bedtime of 10.30pm, which is the new 9.30pm. And don't worry if this doesn't work out as smoothly as the simple subtraction. Remember that because of our internal clocks on average running a tad bit long, it is far easier to stay up later than it is to go to sleep earlier. Just like swimming with the current versus swimming upstream. So you may try to get into bed 30 minutes earlier than the night before, but take much longer to fall asleep than usual. But that's okay. By being mindful of your light exposure and the time leading up until that point, combined with earlier than usual bright light upon waking, you are sending the signals to your body to make these adjustments to your internal clock. So Sunday won't feel quite as jarring. But these timing adjustments are not going to affect your other main sleep-wake mechanism, that process S, or sleep drive, the homeostatic drive for sleep that depends on your consecutive wake time. Trying to get into bed before your sleep drive has had enough time to get strong enough may lead to some mismatch between your still-influx circadian rhythm and your still-the-same sleep drive. And that's okay. Again, this is not some practice to do every single night. We are simply making an effort to soften the blow of springing ahead into daylight savings by making slight adjustments over a few days. So jumping into bed earlier than you're really ready for may mean it takes longer than usual to get those Zs. But that's okay. Just keep in mind that you're just trying to do yourself a favor. So if it works out, that's great. If not, that's okay. At least with light management and wake-up time adjustments, your circadian clock will be better adjusted for the switch on Sunday. But if you find yourself having a hard time in the next couple weeks, either struggling to get on top of DST changes before the big day, or struggling to adjust to the new timing after March 14th? Here's a little exercise. A spring rain. Rain here is actually an acronym. Popularized by Tara Brock, it stands for recognize, allow or accept, investigate, and non-identification or nurture. So with the R of rain, recognize. 
what we are doing is just to pause and see what is actually happening right now. Perhaps you're a busybody and always getting lost and being busy doing this or that, sometimes almost mindlessly. Or do you find yourself always getting distracted and can't focus enough to get lost in a task? Do you recognize when this is happening? Do you ever find yourself in the middle of a conversation with a coworker, friend, or loved one and suddenly realize your mind has been wandering and you can't really follow what they've been saying? Or that you find yourself so preoccupied with what you're going to say next that you're not paying attention to what they're trying to share with you? If so, how can you remind yourself to pause and pay attention? How can you remember to recognize what is happening in the here and now? Recognition can be of several elements of the present moment, but our embodiment provides an easy target. Do you recognize any particular sensations in the body? Aching, cramping, cold, hot, tingling, restlessness, pain, relaxation, soreness, tightness, softness? Do you recognize any particular thoughts bubbling up? Automatic thoughts often just declare themselves, sometimes always at the same time of day, such as, I should eat something. Sometimes it's during the same task, such as while watching TV, I should eat something. Or sometimes while in the same location, such as while in bed, I'm never going to sleep tonight, so I might as well eat something. Do you recognize any particular emotions present? These may be long-standing emotional states like sadness or grief or anxiety or fear. You may also find yourself experiencing particular emotions triggered by spontaneous physical sensations in the body or automatic thoughts in your mind. Perhaps a sensation of physical discomfort prompts anger or sadness. Perhaps automatic thoughts, which are often negative or self-critical, provoke feelings of guilt, shame, or envy of someone else who seems to have it better than you. Perhaps it's worry that you won't get a good night's sleep and feel bad tomorrow, or fear that you will always feel poorly rested and miserable and tired and cranky and no one will ever want to be around you and they'll never love you and will always be alone and perhaps it's a feeling of spiraling out of control. The A in RAIN stands for allow or accept. Once you've recognized what's happening in the present moment, sensations, thoughts, emotions, often the very next step, whether we realize it or not, is to change the present experience, to stop the sensation, think more of those thoughts, feel less of that emotion. This is the arena of desire and aversion applied to our current experience. I want to feel more pleasant sensations, and if I don't, I'll throw a fit and sell my grandmother's TV to score another high. I don't want to have thoughts that I'm a failure, so I'll do or say anything to escape from that thought. I don't want to feel fear, so I'll mask it with rage. Or because it's unacceptable to be angry and upset, I'll give the pretense of shallow praise, but then gossip and stab her in the back as soon as I get the chance. We are so quick to escape from the present, driven by a desire to feel only pleasure all the time driven by avoidance of the slightest discomfort or negative feeling all the time, that we have become intolerant of reality, unable to stomach what is, unprepared to live in the real world, and go to great lengths to avoid it. Allow does not mean that you should want to feel pain or should avoid any pleasure. Allowing is paired with recognition because sometimes as soon as we recognize that a state is being present, a particular sensation, thought, or emotion, we immediately want to change it. Allowance means recognizing this urge to change the present moment. Recognize the cue and recognize the automatic behavior to avoid the present. Allowance builds tolerance, not because our immediate wants, desires, and avoidance behaviors are intrinsically wrong, but because that kind of escapism 
only worsens suffering. It is okay to feel some discomfort. Your body was not built as a pleasure machine. It's okay to have negative thoughts. Many of them are automatic and are not your defining characteristic or the only metric by which we should judge ourselves. It's okay to experience all emotions, even the bad ones, like anger, fear, frustration, jealousy. By allowing, we also recognize that the world does not fall apart when we have an ache, that we are not instantly sent straight to hell for an automatic thought, that we are not doomed forever to depression because we felt sad. By avoiding the present and trying everything to not feel, not think, not emote a certain way, these processes never get to play themselves out. We end up cutting off prematurely the natural evolution of these sensations, thoughts, and emotions. Which brings us to the I. The I in RAIN is for investigate. Get curious about what's going on. What is the nature of your experience? For a very concrete example, if someone comes to the doctor and complains of chest pains, there are many different issues that can cause chest discomfort. So the physician will ask the patient to describe the pain. But if all one can come up with is, I don't know, it just hurts. That's not very helpful. So the physician will ask about various qualities the discomfort may or may not have, like tingling, aching, squeezing, gnawing, stabbing, shooting. It's more precise location where felt the strongest. Where it may be traveling to or radiating to. It's temporal nature, like short, long, recurring, sporadic, predictable, any identifiable triggers. What may soothe the discomfort? Because by investigating the nature of the discomfort, your physician has a much better idea of what is going on with your body and prescribe the appropriate remedy. So when you've had an experience, you've recognized a sensation, thought, emotion is present. You've accepted that it is happening and allowed it to happen without chasing it off immediately. Now, like Sherlock Holmes, investigate it. What clues are there? Often the most helpful clue is to see what happens when you just let it play itself out unhindered. Without interference, that desire and aversion forcing you to do anything but pay attention and allow, without interference, most of these experiences will just fade away. That ache in your back? By just letting it be, you'll see that it morphs over time. Intensity waxes and wanes, that most of the suffering from that physical discomfort is fighting the idea that any discomfort should ever exist in the first place. And I'm certainly not saying that you should ignore every ache or pain, or that even that every source of physical discomfort will magically disappear forever and ever just because you've shown the light of investigation on it. But as an example of the power of mind and body when it comes to suffering is the first medicalization of mindfulness, an intervention called mindfulness-based stress reduction. It's basically a series of eight weekly classes on Mindfulness 101, developed by John Kabat-Zinn at the University of Massachusetts about 40 years ago. And the first target was chronic pain conditions. And what we've seen over and over across several decades now is that mindfulness training, whether using the mindfulness-based stress reduction protocol or some other, the chronic pain is significantly improved. Total pain is reduced. Disability is reduced. Quality of life is improved. Functionality is improved. Amount of potentially harmful pain medications is reduced because suffering is less. When you investigate the nature of thoughts, they reveal themselves to be often spontaneous, automatic, self-referential, the default mode network at its best. Thoughts bubble up and fade away. Investigating with curiosity our thoughts shows their true nature. When accepted, not clung to or avoided, thoughts just come and go, one after another, because that's what minds do. 
they make thoughts. Not every thought is golden truth. Not every thought is remotely helpful. Not every thought is emblematic of your character. With investigation, we see that thoughts come and go on their own. When we investigate emotions after recognizing their presence and allowing them to be, we see that just like thoughts, emotions are ephemeral. Without clinging or aversion, we see that the average emotion lasts mere seconds. Without the rocket fuel of clinging to pleasant emotions, or intense avoidance strategies to stop feeling less pleasant emotions, it becomes clear that they bubble up, run their course, and fade away. Digging deeper, we may find sympathetic joy or love for ourselves and others hiding behind pleasant emotions, and fear hiding behind more negative emotions like anger or anxiety. Once recognized and accepted, once investigated by letting emotions play themselves out, they all bubble up and fade away. Which brings us to the final N in RAIN. Depending on which version you encounter, most will use the final N for non-identification. This means essentially that as you begin to appreciate how your mind works, as you become more aware, more mindful, it becomes clear that often sensations just happen, sometimes exaggerated by emotion or strengthened beneath the surface by active suppression, that thoughts just bubble up automatically. Unfortunately, often with the negative spin, our intrinsic negativity bias, and that emotions just occur in response to our inner world, as well as our inner reaction to events outside ourselves. And when you recognize this unfolding in real time, accept that it is happening, investigate it, you see that these are not your defining features, that negative, automatic thoughts don't represent your best self, your true self, that sporadic sensations that are unpleasant don't doom you to suffer forever. That emotions happen to everyone, even Spock. You see that you don't need to fuse into your core identity every little sensation, every little negative thought, every little experience of an unpleasant emotion. You are not defined by your worst experiences, especially when so many of them are automatic and would otherwise just fade away, just as automatically as they appeared. You are not defined by these. Sensations, thoughts, emotions, they happen. They don't need to be clung to with desire. They don't need to be smothered with aversion. They just are. Your core values, the meaning you make in your own life, your family, your work in and out of the home, your relationships, your spirituality, these are not as ephemeral as an itch or a bad idea or a quick experience of anger. So with the alternative end for rain popularized by Tara Brock, we nurture. Commend yourself for taking a moment to recognize, allow, investigate, and not identify with your most negative experience. Remind yourself that you are merely human like the rest of us, trying to make the best in this world. That all of us suffer, all of us make mistakes, that all of us are driven by desire and aversion. That's just part of being human. And none of us were equipped with a step-by-step -step guide on how your mind actually works, or how to make living the good life as simple as possible, or how to be an adult in the 21st century with economic collapse and climate change, loss of biodiversity, and oh, a global pandemic. So give yourself a break, a little nurturing. But with practice, like everything else in life, it gets easier, requires less and less effort and reminding. In contentment, equanimity, joy, and love, these gradually become the default. So to summarize, we are facing yet another time torture courtesy of our government as we spring ahead into daylight savings at the cost of lives and able bodies. So we do the best that we can. You can soften the blow by making the adjustments to daylight savings over several days instead of just one. 
by getting up a little earlier each day leading up to Sunday. You can guard yourself against an hour of lost sleep by going to bed a little earlier each night for several nights. But don't worry if this doesn't pan out flawlessly. We're just trying to avoid unnecessary suffering. So when you're having a tough time, whether in relation to time shifts or anything at all, remember RAIN. Recognize, allow, investigate, and non-identification. Pause and recognize what is going on right now in your body and mind. What sensations, thoughts, or emotions are present. Allow and accept that they are happening, without judgment, without trying to immediately change them to something more fashionable, more desirable. Investigate with curiosity these experiences. What happens to sensations, thoughts, emotions, when they are left alone? You'll often see that they simply fade away on their own, only to be replaced by yet another spontaneous sensation, thought, or emotion. This is the nature of the mind, the default mode network. So you come to see that you don't need to fuse your identity with every little negative experience. Non-identification means not sealing your fate by every little bad moment, negative thought, unpleasant emotion. These don't make you a bad person. They just make you a person. So give yourself a break. Nurture yourself. See that all minds work this way. You are not alone. And when we let these things play out without clinging and aversion, without judging ourselves for every little experience, life gets a whole lot better. Mind racing becomes less and less of a bother. And bothersome thoughts keeping up at night are no longer quite as bothersome. And ridiculous federal policies that manipulate human biology by manipulating our clocks can be easier to navigate. I made a little handout for you, so if you head over to wellrestedmd.com day, you can get a free cheat sheet to a day in the life of the well-rested, including some specific best practices to get that good snooze. That's wellrestedmd.com day. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. Leave us a review, and head over to wellrestedmd.com for more information. Thanks for listening.